We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, preachers usually refer to this as the resurrection chapter. Uh, it deals, the entire chapter deals with the resurrection. It's a strange thing to me uh, that uh, the Corinthians thought the resurrection, uh, some of them thought that either it had already passed or there was no such thing as a resurrection. And I, um, I might need to turn me up a little bit back here, somebody. I see Bill cupping his hand. Uh, I don't. I don't understand why anyone would be taken with Christ if they thought there wasn't a resurrection. I've never understood that. There are people that are that way today. They don't really believe there's a resurrection, but they or they consider themselves to be Christians. And uh, I've always had a trouble with that. Uh, we were saved, Paul says, in the hope of the resurrection. That's what, uh, it's what we longed for, what we wanted, what we looked for. Uh, life beyond the grave. Uh, that made uh, the Christian system very attractive. That uh, the, the grave is not the end. We can live on. And uh, it attracts people's attention. And, of course, uh, those of us who obeyed the gospel, uh, that's usually step one, is uh, the belief in the resurrection. And to have, to have a belief in a resurrection when you don't think there's a resurrection, I, I've never understood that. Uh, but that was a problem in Corinth. Paul has to deal with it. Uh, I've never had to deal, well, I've had to deal with it with people that don't believe in a resurrection, but of course they don't believe there's a Christianity anyway, so that I do understand. I just can't understand non-belief and then becoming a, a so-called Christian. Anyway, uh, in verse 1, Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you also stand. I declare the gospel, okay? It's the same gospel I preached, you received, you obeyed, <clears throat> and you continue to obey. <clears throat> the gospel, uh, the, the, the fundamental uh, point of the gospel is going to be uh, the resurrection of Christ. You know, by which gospel you are saved if you hold fast to the gospel which I preach to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain. And some of them, uh, they believed in vain for naught. There was no value to it. Uh, this is where we actually begin. I deliver to you first of all, first in order. It's not in matters of importance, but first in order. Uh, first thing I taught you was it's going to be the resurrection, okay? Because it's in this hope that we are saved. This is the fundamental point of Christianity. Uh, I was first taught it. I first taught it to you. He's following the same process that the Lord uh, led him to Christ by. In Galatians 1 and 12, Paul said, I neither, rece I ne I neither received the gospel from man, nor was I taught it by man, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said he was lifted up into the third heaven, uh, and there he received um, the knowledge that he needed 
in order to qualify for an apostle. It was at that time that he was taught this thing first, and it's going to be the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. Uh, what did I deliver first of all? Number one, that Christ died for our sins. Now, this was according to the prophets. The prophets had proclaimed this all along. Now, the problem was there was a lot of false teachers throughout the years. And while when the, the Jews came back from Babylonian captivity, uh, their mindset, it appears, was to obey the law of Moses and follow it. Uh, and I think they did, at least in my opinion, they did that as well as they knew how. Uh, they were uh, devout people who came back from Babylon. Uh, but as time marches forward, uh, false teachers started appearing. It, it always works that way. It doesn't matter where you are or what's going on. Uh, the, the false teachers are going to appear, and they distorted the message of Moses and the prophets. Uh, the, the prophets had prophesied that when the Messiah comes, the one who's greater than Moses, when he comes, uh, he's going to be put to death by men. Well, that was not, no, they didn't want that. Uh, it's not right that men should be able to put uh, Moses' replacement to death. They found it unacceptable, so they changed it. Uh, and instead of uh, being one who would suffer death at the hands of men, he became one who was going to be a leader of men, much like Moses was. Uh, Christ died for our sins, and then he emphasizes, uh, according to the scriptures, this was foretold. You should have known this. Uh, but, of course, the popular teaching at the time was that uh, the Messiah would come in and lead the Jewish armies to a revolution against Rome and defeat Rome. Uh, that is more fun. That's more pleasure. That's what you want. You don't want a Messiah who's just going to die. And uh, people believed it. People usually prefer a lie to the truth uh, when it comes right down to it. So I preached that uh, first in order. Christ died for our sins. Well, then, of course, he was buried, as all dead people are. And then he rose again on the third day. And that was the exception, of course, to the rule. However, he said this was according to the scriptures once again. The prophets had foretold it all. The Messiah would come. He would die at the hands of men. He would be buried in the earth, and then he would be raised back up on the third day. Um, those uh, prophecies had been around, well, most of them for 1,500 years. Some had been around longer than that. Uh, one goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, when the Lord first prophesied that uh, the seed of woman would come into the world. Uh, so this was not new. It was something the Jews especially should have known. They did not because of false teachers. Therefore, when Messiah came into the world, not knowing exactly who he was or what he was there to do 
<clears throat> they found Jesus unacceptable. Uh, he was the meek and lowly Jesus instead of uh, General George S. Patton. And uh, they had wanted nothing to do with him. But all of this was according to Scripture. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said on one occasion to the Jews, you search the scriptures, scripture means writing, okay, divine is assumed. Uh, you search the divine writings, for in these writings you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. I think I sound a little bit tinny maybe, it might be just a little bit too much. Uh, you search the scriptures, for in the scriptures you think you'll find eternal life, and yet the scriptures are they which do testify of me. That's what the purpose of the scriptures were. The prophecies, in a large measure, was to identify the Messiah when he came into the world. God had, um, uh, had all these prophecies predicted, and uh, people did not understand the prophecies. So they were of no value to them. Uh, they couldn't understand what the meaning of it was. <clears throat> I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, first of all, what was it? <clears throat> the death, the burial, and the resurrection uh, of Christ, Messiah, according to the scriptures. And in Romans eight twenty four, Paul said, we were saved in this hope. Uh, this is the, the, the drawing power. Remember what the Lord said? <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> My congestion. Um, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Uh, this is what he was talking about. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God was going to be the drawing power. We were saved in this hope. We were saved because we wanted to be resurrected from the dead, just like Christ was. But uh, sometimes uh, people believe it in a resurrection, but they don't believe it very strongly. And there's a difference there. Uh, faith, of course, is relative. There's such a thing as weak faith. There's such a thing as strong faith. We begin with a weak faith, and then we work the rest of our lives trying to develop a strong faith. Why? Because it's the strong faith that's going to win divine approval. The weak faith, unless, of course, you haven't been a Christian very long, uh, the weak faith won't win divine approval. It's the strong faith uh, that will, because the strong faith is the faith that is capable of doing whatever the Lord wants us to do. The faith that Abraham, for example, had. Uh, he offered up Isaac. Uh, he didn't offer up Isaac when he was 70 years old. He offered up Isaac when he was 113 years old. He didn't have that kind of faith at age 70. When the Lord told him to go somewhere where I'll show you, he started on the journey, but he quit prematurely. He stopped in Haran and uh, lived there for five years, and then the Lord had to reappear to him and tell him to go because he wanted, of course, to go down in what we uh, know as Canaan. But uh, Moses' faith was uh, shallow. 
at the time. He had faith, but it was still somewhat shallow. Uh, but over the years, the next 43 years, uh, his faith grew. And then one day when Jehovah told him to offer up Isaac, he was willing to do it simply because Jehovah told him to do it. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Uh, it would be nice if it did. The nominational folks, they tell us that it just happens, that God gives us that faith. Uh, it would be nice if that were true, but that's not the way it comes. Uh, you have to work for it. You have to, you have to develop that kind of faith. Uh, this was the first thing in order that they needed to know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people, they, uh, they want to talk to a preacher uh, about uh, uh, the Bible, usually what they say. The thing that always makes me sad is that the first thing they want to talk about is uh, the Battle of Armageddon or something like that. Uh, a person who doesn't know the Lord doesn't need to begin the conversation talking about the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, a person uh, isn't ready for that kind of a discussion. They need to be talking about the first thing in order, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you can divert their attention to a different subject, you'll be much better off. Uh, but sometimes people just want to pick a fight with you. It stands to reason that first things first, uh, you teach people uh, as they're able to receive the teaching. You remember Jesus said just before he died, he said, I have many things to say to you, my apostles, uh, but you're not ready for them right now. So I'm going to go ahead and die, and then the Holy Spirit will come, and he'll tell you those things then. It wasn't, it wasn't the time for them to learn the things he had to teach them. They were going to have to wait until some things happened first, namely his death, burial, and resurrection, and then they would be in a position where they could receive the information that the Holy Spirit would give them. Had Jesus told them about such matters beforehand, they would have, they would have been thoroughly confused if they even believed it. But after he had uh, been raised from the dead, they would be uh, able to receive the information Okay, that's all it was right there. My fault. Could have waited till we were done with class, couldn't he? Just like his mama. Uh, faith. Uh, I remember a man, uh, he uh, had become a Christian and we were Somebody was teaching a first principles class over there, and <clears throat> I suggested to him that he get in that first principles class, and he didn't want to. Uh, he told me he'd been married to a godly woman for X amount of years, and uh, he didn't need to start at the beginning. Uh, I think everybody needs to start at the beginning if they've never been at the beginning. Uh, First principle class is terribly important. It's like building a house. Uh, you gotta lay a foundation. And then after you get a good solid foundation, 
then you go on with the next thing in order in the process of building a house. Well, that's the way faith works. And uh, sometimes I'm, I fear, and this bothers me as a Bible teacher all the time, because look what we talk about. We talk about everything now in this class. Uh, I don't know of a subject I can't talk to you about because you are ready to hear anything. Uh, but imagine uh, a stranger comes into this class. You know, how, how are they going to understand what we're talking about? They're not ready for that yet. They're ready for more basic matters. Uh, but if you tell them that, people they feel insulted because it's like you're saying they're not smart enough for something. But it's not about being dumb or smart. It's about not having that kind of knowledge yet. You got to learn the ABCs before you start learning how to put words together and then going on to put sentences together. You have to take things in order. Sometimes people come into this class and uh, the things we talk about or uh, think about, uh, it's things they just don't get. And uh, we need another adult class, I think. Okay. Anyway, Paul said, <clears throat> the first thing I delivered to you was the most fundamental thing of all. Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead. Paul goes into a lot of discussion in Romans 6, 1 through 14. We won't, but uh, that's a good place to read right there if you make notes in your Bible. Uh, after he was raised from the dead, he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by all 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 people at one time, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep, some have died. The, the reason he makes mention of that, go ask them if you want to. Ask them if they've seen Jesus raised from the dead. And no doubt many people did. There's a lot of eyewitnesses that seen him after he came back from the dead. Go talk to him. See what uh, Brother Joe Blow said about having seen Christ, having st stuck his hand in one of his wounds. He'll tell you, after that he was seen by James. This would be now James the Less. Uh, this is a half-brother of the Lord. Uh, the Apostle James, we know, was uh, he had already died. He had been beheaded. This James is uh, Jesus' brother. You recall uh, his brothers didn't believe that he was the Messiah, John chapter 7. Uh, they thought he was a fraud, a pretender. They even uh, tried to entrap him uh, in his words. But after he was raised from the dead, they're not unbelievers anymore. You can't argue with a man that's come back from the dead, especially your own brother. You know who he is, and you know that he's come back to life. After he seen James, he was then seen by all the apostles. This, of course, is probably before he ascended back to heaven. Last of all, he was seen by me, Paul, also, as by one born out of due time. Uh, my brother was born out of due time. He was, he's 10 years younger than me. He, we call them accidents now. Uh-oh. And that's how my brother arrived on the scene. He was born out of due time. 
Well, Paul was born out of due time. He wasn't an accident. But the point is, he became an apostle long after the others became apostles. Uh, he had a different mission and a different work. I am the least of the apostles. Uh, there's no, I, I think it's easy to understand why Paul considered him to be the least. Uh, he was a persecutor of the church. Uh, he was a very violent man. Uh, he dragged women by the hair of the head out of their houses. I don't know how much you've seen about what happened over in Israel when uh, Hamas came into Israel and uh, murdered about 1,400 people. Uh, I remember one house uh, I, I seen on the TV as they went through it. Uh, they went into the, the house and there was a man, his wife, uh, a boy, and a girl. Well, the first thing they did when they, when they went into the house was they cut off the little girl's uh, right hand. And then they went over and they uh, cut off the little boy's uh, left foot. And then they pulled the mother's clothes off, they cut off her breasts, and then they went to the husband and they poked out his eyes. Then they took their machetes or swords, whatever they were carrying, and they hacked them to death. And then on their way out of the house, uh, they set the house on fire. The reason we know what happened in that order is because Hamas was filming the whole thing. Uh, one guy, uh, after he had uh, hacked the little girl to death, uh, he was on a phone call with his mother and told his mother to get his father on the phone because he had just killed uh, some Jews and he wanted his father to see whom he had killed, a little girl, brave man. Huh? But uh, they were very mean in what they did. That's my point. Paul, he didn't hack off hands and feet off little children, but he was a, he was a violent man. Uh, he dragged people from their houses. Their children watched as they were dragged out of their houses, and they hauled the mother and the father off, and they put them in prison while the kids are sitting in the doorway uh, screaming and crying. Uh, see Paul just like he was. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, he was gung-ho in his persecuting of Christians because they were Christians. I know a lot of times uh, I've wished I could get rid of my memories. Uh, I probably mentioned it a few times through the years. But I wished uh, very much that there's so many things I could forget about my own past. And uh, you can't. I've heard people say, you know, when God forgives, he forgets. And that's what we should do, too. Uh, I, I can't. You know, people say, I can't do it, though. I don't know what you're going to do when you can't do something. Uh, I don't think we're supposed to forget if we got a grudge against somebody, we forget that, put that out of the way. 
But when we recall events in our own life that we're not proud of, uh, I think we're supposed to remember those things. The, the more clearly I see myself, the more clearly I see God, you see? The more I realize how little I deserve a second chance at life, the bigger God becomes. The dirtier I see myself, the cleaner I see God. Do you understand? This is, this is Paul, as if he was much worse shape as far as memories, scars in his mind. He remembered what he did, and he knew why he did what he did. And these people he persecuted so severely, some being put to death because he okayed it. And now, here he is, one of them. How can he see himself in any other light than being the chief sinner? It never lost, left his mind. But as long as he understood who he had been, the Son of God became bigger and bigger and bigger to him. The more love he could see in God, the more grace he could see in God, the more of a forgiving nature he could see in God. And everything he's seen in God, he tried to reproduce in himself. And he was motivated because he realized just how undeserving he actually was. <clears throat> <clears throat> I read an article one time about it, my preacher it said uh, Paul seems to boast about having been a sinner. He's not boasting, I don't believe. He's explaining why he feels the way he does about himself. I was an apostle born out of season and I am the least of all, and the least deserving. None of them are deserving, but him, ain't no way by comparison to the rest. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. And truly he felt that way. I, I've often wondered how embarrassed he would be when he stood in front of a crowd who knew him before he became an apostle. Say the crowds in Jerusalem, for example. Or maybe when he was in a different town, such as Antioch. Maybe he would get and preach a sermon on love. And he might look out in the crowd and see somebody there who knew him as Paul the Pharisee. I, I, I wonder how that affected him while he was speaking. Now, he didn't feel worthy. He's not bragging. He's not, he's not, uh, he's not doing anything other than explaining who he actually is because I persecuted the church of God. Uh, he thought he was doing right, but he was wrong. Sincerity only goes so far. But by the grace of God and how mighty 
powerful that grace looked. He said, I am what I am. I was what I was, but now I am what I am. Well, how'd you make such a violent change, Paul? By the grace of God. It was divine grace. You hear people say, there's no way I could live a Christian life. By the grace of God, you can. It's not within your power to do so, but it is within the power of God to do so. It was by divine grace that I am now before you what you see before you. And his grace toward me was not in vain. You know, uh, we got a lot of great preachers in our brotherhood. I don't know what the percentage is now, but I say back about 20, 25 years ago, uh, it was 40-something percent of the preachers in Churches of Christ had previously been denominational preachers, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever. And somebody somewhere along the line had taught them the gospel as it is written. And they were converted and they became Christians. And they already had the talent, so they started preaching. And most of the, I shouldn't say that, a lot of the, we call them big name preachers, uh, are those preachers that came out of denominations. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know why. Uh, I worked with a guy named Dennis Palmer years ago, and uh, after I became a, a Christian, he knew me for a long time, uh, through a series of events over about two years, uh, suffice it to say, I was preaching. Probably shouldn't have been preaching, but I was because everybody wanted me to. Uh, I wasn't ready to, but people wanted me to preach, so I did. Uh, and uh, I was very serious about it. Uh, I started going to Tennessee Bible College, and uh, I studied. Oh, gee, I studied all the time, like a madman trying to learn. And uh, I remember one day, Dennis asked me, he said, do you think, do you think you strive more uh, to live a life pleasing to God than say I do because uh, uh, of what you were? Do you think remembering who you were drives you to try to please the Lord more than I do. His daddy was an elder. I said, I don't know. I don't know what causes stuff. Why does one person uh, 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 work so hard at it where another person does not? I don't know. But I thought about it a lot. Uh, Paul here said, uh, I was the least of all the apostles, but uh, God's grace in me was not in vain. It, it was not wasted. And what he's talking about now is the energy he spent uh, as being a Christian. Uh, 
stop and think, you know, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, he was, uh, he traveled farther than anyone else did. He had more miles under his belt. Uh, I don't know who made the most disciples or whatever happened, but Paul was a, a, a very popular preacher. He preached before kings. I don't know that the other apostles ever did that, but Paul, he did. Uh, he was, uh, he considered himself to be the chief of sinners, uh, but he was very industrious uh, trying to live a life uh, the way he believed the Lord wanted him to live it, and he did it with all of his might. What drove that man to do that? I don't know. He was that kind of a guy before he became a Christian. He was industrious as a Pharisee. Maybe that's just his nature. I don't know. There's something to think about, though. I've always thought about it. I labored more abundantly than they all, speaking of the apostles. His labors by far more extensive than theirs were. Uh, he had given himself totally uh, to the cause of Christ. Yet not I, but it was the grace which was with me. It was the grace of God that drove me to do that. Here we go back to uh, what I was saying earlier. Paul seeing himself as the chief of, chief of sinners. It made grace, divine grace, that much greater in his mind, his eyes. Look what God did. He forgave even me. And because he seen himself as such a chief of sinners, he seen divine grace as being extraordinarily large as well. Uh, a lot of things goes on in a person's mind. But I think it's very important that we see ourselves as we truly are, the warts and everything. Because I think seeing our sin scars, I think that makes God bigger to us. Paul could certainly see his scars. Uh, by grace, Paul was saved. By grace, he became what he is. By grace, he was driven to serve. Uh, the grace of God had a a powerful impact on this man. Uh, and it should me and you too. But it only can do that if I see myself as God saw me, as a sinner without hope. I mean, it's not like, uh, well, I didn't have to change much when I become a Christian because I was mostly good. That's a bad attitude. When I became a Christian, I was a sinner and I was without hope. There was nothing I could do about it. There was nothing anyone could do about it, save the grace of God. It's only when we see who we were that we can appreciate who God is. And that's when he becomes more attractive to us because I know how much I needed him. And without him, I was nothing. Therefore, whether it was I or they, the other apostles, whether me or them, 
So we preach and so you believe. We all preach the same thing, in other words. The importance of the resurrection is verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among say, uh, some among you say that, that there is no resurrection of the dead? I've been saying that ever since I started reading the Bible. <laughs> how could anybody say that? It doesn't make sense to me. Well, apparently it didn't make sense to Paul either. The gospel was preached. The first thing I preached was the death, burial, resurrection. You believe the gospel. You became a Christian. Uh, a couple of years have gone by. Now, why are some of you saying that there is no resurrection? What happened? What changed? What's different? You know what's different. False teachers came into the picture, and they convinced some of these believers that there really was no resurrection. Uh, faith revived after Christ's resurrection. Uh, this happened to <clears throat> the apostles. <clears throat> Romans 8, 24 again, Paul said we were saved in this hope. You remember that uh, when Jesus was crucified that the apostles uh, sort of uh, fell into a state of numbness. Uh, it was like uh, all hope was gone. Remember two disciples on the road to a mass when the Lord talked to them and they didn't know who he was. Uh, what makes you so sad was his question. And they said, well, haven't you heard about Jesus of Nazareth being crucified? Uh, well, okay, now what is it that makes you sad? We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping. We used to hope. But we don't hope anymore. Why? They, cru they crucified him. He's dead. And all of our hope is gone. They had all kinds of thoughts in their minds of what was going to happen when King Jesus sat down on the throne. They were going to be somebodies in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, bang, he's dead, he's gone. And everything we hoped for was gone. Their dreams were shattered. Everything went up in smoke. But on the third day, he came back from the dead. And what happened? Faith revived. It was the resurrection that caused them to believe. It was the resurrection that compelled them to devote themselves to him. A person's confidence in the death, burial, and resurrection is of the utmost importance in making us become all we can be as children of God. <clears throat> we have to settle that question in our minds. <clears throat> when you go home and you're sitting around thinking, just study on the question, how confident am I in the resurrection? How much confidence do I have? Do I really believe in the resurrection and that I'll be a partaker of the resurrection? Settle the question in your mind and... Uh, You'll profit from the study. We'll, uh, we'll have to continue, Lord willing, next week with verse 13.